Welcome to the Snow Globe Project Podcast. I'm Simon Heal. And today's episode is an interview with my friend and CBT therapist, Sasha Khan, who, for the purposes of our podcast, is an expert in teaching mindfulness to vulnerable individuals in either group settings or individually. And I want to know why is meditation important and how can we then maintain a solid daily meditation practice? So, Sasha, welcome. Thank you to, for joining the uh, my uh, Snow Globe Project podcast. Um, is that a fair introduction to you or would you like to add... Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, and that's a lovely introduction. Yeah, I think that's 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 a, those were nice things to say about me. I would probably not use the word expert. I think um, we've all got more to learn, so I think we're students of of human moves. Um, so let's see. Perhaps there's some a few things that I know that I might be able to pass on. Um, I think if if, so, if people can take one or two things from this and apply them in their in their own lives i think that would be time well spent okay so just very quickly what brought you into you know the, the, your field of and I, I use the word expertise but you know you you, you know what <clears throat> what you know what brought you into this field well i think i kind of stumbled into it um i was training to be a oh i was training to be an accountant and um kind of forcing myself in that direction. It wasn't really working. I'd always been interested in psychology and um, there happened to be a bookshop that was very near to where I was working as an accountant called Karnak Books, um, which was on the Finchley Road. And they and we had a Freud's old house up the road. So I guess I was in that kind of milieu. And I found myself at lunchtime often disappearing into that bookshop and just getting thoroughly absorbed in all this interesting stuff and it was a world of knowledge that I think um, I felt pulled to. So we could say that was a, a calling, I suppose. Um, so I was reading books on psychology and psychotherapy and psychoanalysis and devouring those those books and probably that was a way of avoiding the, the misery of um, the balance sheet and the profit and loss. And Eventually, it became obvious that I wasn't going to be a very good accountant, and so I decided to change tack, and that was back in... Oh, when would it have been? I sound like an old man now. Um, that would have been 1996, I think. Once well, going back uh, some, some way, and then um, moved into, as you well know, studying initially hypnotherapy, um, and psychotherapy, and then after that, doing studies in cognitive behavioral therapy, or more specifically, rational emotive behavior therapy. Um, and then, pretty much soon after completing that master's degree, going to work in a, um, a psychiatric hospital uh, in the general psychiatric unit and seeing people who were suffering from all kinds of distress from schizophrenia, severe depression, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and so as a young um, neophyte, I was really thrown in at the deep end and um, kind of called upon to, to help people with all kinds of um, distress. 
Um, so I've always been looking for ways in which I can teach people to help themselves. And so I think mindfulness became something that was an obvious choice because of the kind of relative surfeit of evidence suggesting that it could help people with recurrent depression and people who were resistant to treatment and relapsing. And that made a lot of sense to me in, in terms of saving lives, really. Um, you know, the statistics are fairly stark. If we look at depression, um, the more episodes we have, the chances of relapse uh, increase and do so exponentially. So if we've had one episode of severe clinical depression, there's a 20% chance of relapse. Um, with two, it's something like 50 or 60. Uh, three or more episodes, there's a 90% chance of relapse. And with, um, if people follow uh, meditation, or more specifically mindfulness, and they do a, a course of eight weeks and two hours a week and some home study, and continue that practice in their own life, bringing it into their daily life a little bit, then that can halve the rate of relapse. And I found that to be quite an, quite exciting, um, the fact that um, I think if somebody was able to create a drug that could do that, then they would probably win the Nobel Prize. So I kind of thought, this is a no-brainer, let's study this and let's, let's start um, disseminating that information. And so, yeah, I kind of went all in on that and set up a group in the hospital. It would have been about 15 years ago, I think. Um, and... It was just really nice to see people enjoying that and feeling that they had something that they could use to help themselves and not just be reliant on on uh, medication um, and th talking therapy. So I think it was giving people their power back um, and this was manifest in the number of letters and cards that I got from people thanking um, me and um, my colleagues for 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 teaching them that, that, that important tool. The question that I that is going through my mind which I think a lot of mm -hmm. people would want to know is the difference between mindfulness and meditation in my introduction mm -hmm. I you know described you as a you know, a meditation practitioner sure. and teacher. And then you specifically spoke about mm -hmm. mindfulness. And in my, you know, mm -hmm. the podcast that I do, mm -hmm. I don't mention mindfulness mm -hmm. at all. It's just meditation. Okay. Just to sure. make, and that is yeah. a conscious choice. And it would be really lovely to hear you to sort of say, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. for people out there who are the beginners or looking into mm -hmm. it, the difference between meditation and mindfulness. Okay, so meditation is... Um, more of a generic term and an umbrella term and so a lot of different things would come under that heading um, so for example transcendental meditation um, that's a, that, um, that is a different type of meditation from mindfulness um, and that involves um, sitting quietly for 20 minutes usually twice a day and repeating a mantra over and over and people get derive a lot of benefit from that um, I think there is a tendency for things to move 
in and out of fashion. And so um, mindfulness, which is based on the Vipassana tradition from India, um, teachers like S.N. Goenka, um, um, that has its own heritage and history. Um, and it's, it's rooted in its own philosophy. Um, and I guess, you know, there are probably hundreds of different kinds of meditation. Um, but mindfulness is, is, is one type of meditation and that's flourished mostly because of a number of psychologists, I think, who went to India in the 1960s and embraced this form of practice and then brought it back to their native land and started to um, introduce it into various settings, um, most notably John Kabat-Zinn, who's written many books, has many wonderful recordings and is a, is a wonderful teacher. And he set up the first MBSR group, the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Group, in a, um, in a hospital in, um, where would that have been? I think Connecticut somewhere. Massachusetts, that's correct. Yeah, so so and you know he was really able to help out a lot of people in a medical setting who were not being helped sufficiently by allopathic medicine. So people suffering from chronic pain who uh, weren't responding to normal analgesic treatments, people with terminal illnesses, people with free floating anxiety that wasn't responding to conventional treatment so I think he did a lot of good work there and what seemed to be a rather arcane practice from the east um, became gradually accepted as it became obvious that this was really helping people I mean I when I teach or try to explain to people I find the easiest way for me to explain it is that meditation is you know it's a bit like you know training for a you know a marathon or, or training for for anything mm -hmm. you've got to do the hard yards so meditation mm -hmm. for me is the is the miles is the long miles is going out for the 20 mile run mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. gives you the foundation to explore this mm -hmm. notion of being mindful would you would you agree or, or not yeah or? yeah um, yeah, I think, I think it is important to address the issue that, uh, that this is something that requires a level of commitment and, and discipline. I think that's important. Um, and it's not that mindfulness is difficult, it's that it's tricky. So it's a bit like learning how to ride a bike. Um, or learning to how to play tennis or play snooker or netball. Um, you know, initially when we first tr start these things, we're a beginner and so we do falter. You know, we throw or hit the ball out of the court or <laughs> off the table. Um, and, you know, quotes, unquotes, mistakes do happen. And that's a necessary part of um, learning to practice mindfulness and I mean I guess the, the since we are talking about I think in this podcast obstacles to meditation practice it might be worth talking about something now which is I see most people struggling and they happen to be they say that they, they can't clear their minds they can't do that they don't know how to um, get rid of their thoughts and 
and I think it's important to address that misconception that actually sitting down and doing not very much at all, often with eyes closed, is, is going to bring up difficult private experience. You know, it's going to bring up unhelpful thoughts. It's going to bring up conditioned um, thinking behavior, you know. So we're going to we're going to have to face our our own demons. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, so, so what would you suggest yeah, so, to, uh, so, to, to, to somebody yeah. who's kind of going, you know what, I, you know, because in my experience, you know, when people, you know, talk to me or, you know, doing, doing trainings, teaching the MBSR, first week is usually fine, you know, except it's the long practice, sure. etc. And people really struggle because it's down mm-hmm. to time. It's, it's time. And in this world, sure. yeah. for some, you know, we all have the same amount of time, you know, we, you know, we oh, yeah, 24 right. hours in a day. Mm-hmm. However, this concept mm. of time seems to be shrinking and shrinking that we don't right. feel we have the time. So not looking for, yeah. for, to, to you for, you know, the, 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 the magic answer, but mm-hmm. what would you suggest to sort of help people, guide people into mm-hmm. being able to establish a regular practice, mm-hmm. hints, tips, personal experience, whatever? Well, I think, I think the, well, the evidence is clear that, the more often we do this practice, the more we benefit from it. That, um, you know, that old, well, now it's old, that old aphorism of neurons that fire together, wire together, um, that holds true. So we need to get those neurons firing, you know, i.e. sitting down, lying down, doing the meditation every day, that gets the neurons firing. The more often we do that, well, those neurons start to wire together and build a structure in the brain so it's um, literally changing who we are Um, so that can be quite motivating sometimes to tell people look by doing this you are changing your brain you are building a system in your brain that will come online when you're feeling stressed and when you need it Um, you know it's in many ways the most important work that we can do and so prioritizing that is, is important. And in my experience, it's best done for most people first thing in the morning. So it's, clear, it's clearing that space for yourself and, think, and treating yourself with the respect that you deserve, that you're a human being and you know this time is for you and it's for your healing and health. And it's like taking a prescription drug. You know, If you have high blood pressure, well, you better take that drug every day. Well, same thing with the meditation. Um, you know, make it a priority. The other thing is also to make it manageable. So a lot of people I work with who do get sent to me, often by by doctors, um, they've tried meditation before, they've tried Headspace, they've tried various apps that are often very, very good apps, but they can't stick with it because they feel that it's too long. Again, that time constraint. So I might start by um, trying to build their confidence and showing them that they have some control over their body, which is not mindfulness, but maybe people need a bit of a boost. So I might teach them a breathing technique, for example, and say, look, okay, you don't have 20 minutes 
every day? Do you have 10? Do you have five minutes? Do you have four minutes? You know, what's, what is, how, how can we set the bar so low that you can't fail? And it might be, okay, I'll try two minutes. And it's like, all right, well, let's write that down, you know, in a very cognitive behavioral therapy way. We're obsessed with writing stuff down, but um, there is a certain magic for some people in writing stuff down. So write that down, put it in, put it in your diary and, and, and um, put it on the back of an already established habit. So we call that habit stacking, yeah? So after I drink my tea in the morning, I will go into my office or um, bedroom, close the door, and for two minutes, I will do this breathing technique. And just do that every day for two weeks, three weeks. And that often gives people a sense of self-efficacy, you know, that they feel that actually I do have agency here. I can do something that is helpful for me. Um, Keep it simple. As with everything in, 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 in um, psychotherapy or self-help, if things are getting too complicated, it's, it's time to go back to basics and, you know, try to establish an explanation for what's going on that is simple. Um, you know, because I think, I think as, as human beings, we, we are very capable of complicated thinking and abstract thought but when we're dealing with emotional problems we really need to drill down to basics you know we so we might have an issue with our with our own existence as often happens when people are depressed we are we get really philosophical then you know at a time when we're least able to answer those philosophical questions we ask ourselves what's the point in living why ought i to live you know what's the meaning of life and Actually, if we ask ourselves, well, hang on a second, am I hungry or thirsty? Am I pissed off? Am I feeling lonely, excluded? Am I tired? You know, and often the answer is simple. I need to drink a glass of water. I'm dehydrated. I need to eat some food. My blood sugar's all over the place. I'm pissed off because I felt treated like a doormat at work and I wasn't being assertive enough. You know, I need to be more clear and assertive in my communication I'm feeling alone let's call a friend let's have some connection with people I'm tired you know I need to make sure I get a decent night's sleep um, or more more to the point here you know there's a lot going on in my mind it's complex let's sit down and sit with it for 10 minutes let's give myself and my feelings the attention they deserve well that was my sort of you know, question around this that at the moment there is, you know, a huge amount of of thinking time because there's a <clears> lot <throat> to think about at the moment with the pandemic, with something which is relatively out of our control, or would, there is there is a lot that apparently we can do. However, that brings with it a whole realm of different ways of thinking of of fear, of anxiety, <clears throat> of threat. So something like meditation, the risk is that it falls way down the list of, of priorities in of terms of what mm -hmm. I need. So, you know, so for, for specifically for the podcast and what we're trying to do with it in terms of helping the strap line is helping to settle the world one breath at a time. Um, I mean, it's a noble um, mission, but how, what would you say 
is the big why. You know, let's say when people are going, you know, there's all this stuff happening. Um, yes, Sasha or Simon says, you know, just sit for five minutes a day, but it's way mm -hmm. down on my list of priorities. What would you say to sort of just kind of turn that upside down mm -hmm. and say, yes, but, you know, this is the big mm -hmm. why. This is what it can do. For mm -hmm. you. you may have answered already, but. I would say to people, I would try to. I would try ask ask them to um, think about the people in their life and to think about somebody that they admire and ask them what it is they admire about this person and quite often what you will hear is that well i admire this person because they are resilient or strong or kind or thoughtful or i don't know all of those things and i think those are values that i guess most of us would sort of hold to and say yeah well those are good things right and i would suggest that mindfulness allows us to be more of those things because it gives us space in our minds it gives us the opportunity to bring to bear on any problems we have the strength of our whole intelligence and so it calms the mind sufficiently so that we're able to use our higher brain functions and well, that strikes me as perhaps the most important thing we can do, right? Indeed. Um, yeah, I mean, what what's really struck me over the lockdown and certainly over the last year or possibly four years is how humanity seems to have changed or priorities seems to have changed, mm -hmm. certainly politically, economically, financially, mm -hmm. all these different things. And I, and I see this in terms of, you know, what people are, are reaching for in terms of gratification, in terms of help, mm -hmm. um, the quick fix or whatever, consumerism. Sure, sure. And so the question that I sort of, you know, I find quite important is, is what would you say the greatest needs are for humanity right now? <laughs> What would you say that the greatest needs yeah. are for humanity right now? And how can these be achieved? Well, I think um, we talked about connection. And I think that's that's important. And especially in light of um, what's been happening recently and um, particularly aware of old people having to be isolated and how damaging that can be and we know from the research that that kind of isolation can be every bit as bad as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day and so that tells us something important that we are human beings and we're, but we're also mammals and animals and we die without connection you know that's what happens to rats or monkeys if you leave them in isolation they're social animals they die they get sick and they die so we need connection and equally um, we know that if rats are given the opportunity to drug themselves with something like cocaine and that's kind of analogous to our use of te modern technology I think people display similar be addictive behavior with with these um, with these devices we know that those mammals if 
offered the opportunity to to play with other um, uh, rats, they will do so over the opportunity to to fill themselves with this addictive drug. Um, and so I would say, yeah, connect, it's about connection. It's about real connection and feeling feeling heard and being able to speak from our hearts and to be receptive to other people in the same way. Uh, and more practically, I would suggest what people could do is if you tend to switch your phone on first thing in the morning, don't do that. Just give yourself 25 minutes without the phone. Keep it out of reach, keep it turned off, and just notice how often you feel the urge to pick up your phone and it's not there and ask yourself, huh, okay, who's running the show here? Is it me or is it something else? And that can often, that can be quite um, illuminating for people. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yet there's this paradox that you're talking about all these apps, which are helping us stay connected with people, you know, which are on our devices. So it's yeah. this, you know, we have been caught in this in this massive web Absolutely. of being, sure. you know, encouraged to to connect with Facebook, with Insta, yeah. all these kind of things. Yet, mm. and it gives us. But I think what you're saying, and what I what I understand, is that it gives us these little hits, these little hits, like taking a drug. Yeah, it's you know, it's hitting the same circuits in the brain, the kind of reward system, and more specifically, a kind of dopamine and. Um, adrenaline circuits in the brain. So would you say that by doing a regular practice of whatever Mm -hmm. length um, enables Mm -hmm. us neurologically to and behaviorally to regain some sense of control? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a good way of, of, um, of of talking about that. Absolutely. I mean, and since we're on the topic we could talk about other ways in which to people might might benefit so i work with a lot of people who have often very severe anxiety or problems paying attention so they might have um, attention deficit problems and they find it hard to sit still or lie down for any length of time so i might suggest well do some stretching in the morning and give yourself to that fully you know no distractions five minutes just stretch and as much as you can enjoy that stretch notice where you're feeling it in your body um, and do that for five minutes and that can be again that can be useful if it becomes established as a regular habit so that's something else people might want to to try and do and the and these can be roots into doing mindfulness there's nothing magic about mindfulness i think it's a state of being that we most of us have when we're children you know we're able to be kind of absorbed and fully in the moment and without any sort of thoughts interfering with that without judgment without wanting to be somewhere else without feeling called to be doing other things to achieve and um, children are more able to step into that place of simply being. So would you uh, 
suggest nowadays that yes, children do have that ability to be in the, in, in the moment, to be less mm. distracted. But depending on what mm. age, mm. Um, would you say? And I suppose this is this is how to get you know do do you feel that young people nowadays and let's say we're talking from maybe so preteens up until you know early adult adulthood because we're seeing a lot mm. of you know this notion of or not notion but the the term of mental health being sort mm-hmm. of spoken about largely in schools mm-hmm. of how to encourage or to get mm-hmm. some kind of practice or awareness. Into mm-hmm. into these you know children's lives. Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, but I, I guess we've also got to make sure that we're not um, encouraging or promoting this at the expense of other things. And you know, it's all very well saying, "Well, let's teach our kids mindfulness." Well, perhaps turning off the computer s- screens would be a better start or making sure that they're getting exercise and running around. Because it strikes me that a lot of attention, so-called attentional problems come from children who are just stuck in a, a virtual cage and they haven't been given the opportunity to go and run around and spend their energy. And that's, that's what they need to do. I mean, think about when you were a child. What was that like? How many calories did, did you burn up running around during the day? And... Well, we didn't have computers. Now, whether that That's not right. saying not saying that that was a, a a good thing, it just wasn't there. So we, mm-hmm. you know, you had to entertain yourself. You, you know, I, That's right. I'm sure I was bored, but we had the radio. So there were always distractions. There were ways to to you mm-hmm. know get through, like listening to 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 records, listen to that vinyl, <laughs> of course, you know, listen yeah, to the right. radio and play games and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So there was still that thing of filling time with stuff by being distracted. Mm-hmm. So I can't mm-hmm. say it was better or worse. It was, it was different. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say it's worse. <laughs> yeah, no, it was worse. It's worse now. I think I let's no bones about it. You know, I, I'm sorry. Maybe I sound like an old fuddy duddy, but no, these, well, these screens are devastating. I think, you know, we know that, we know that more than two hours a day spent on screens can create ADHD in children. Um, you know, the literature is very clear on that. And young people do seem to respond in an addictive fashion. You know, I've had numerous discussions with young people and their parents and they, they, they talk like addicts looking for a fix, you know, when they want to go on their computer and, play Minecraft or Fortnite or whatever the, the game du jour is. And I, I know it's, 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 it's not great. It's damaging, I think. I think someone has to, people, have, we have to say that. Um, okay, yes, there are good things about that technology and perhaps, you know, th- they're developing skills that will be useful in their lives. But clearly I think it's, it's not that great for them. And when I, when I see young people who go on a sort of fast and they 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 don't use computers and screens for a couple of weeks they go on holiday and they come back they're different people so anyway that's my that's my observation <laughs> it's also harder at the moment with uh, 
with the you know pandemic in terms of that yeah. everything is online, and so it's we're we're forced, we're forced to to embrace technology. Well, absolutely, and it's a, you know it's an irony that you know I'm criticizing technology, but I'm sitting in front of a big screen and I've got a I've got a big microphone in front of me. We were adults, and then supposedly we're able to make these these choices. Well, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> what the adulthood or the choices? Both. <laughs> um, I would. There's one of you know. I mean, Sasha, I really appreciate your your time, and you know, we could mm. carry on talking for, for, for forever. But mm. um, as we sort of a final question to wrap it up is as we head into you know 2021, whatever it offers us, what advice would you give to yourself? Okay. for the coming year i think slow down make plans um seek to be more ba- more balanced i think and so practically that would mean using a diary and writing down what sort of days i might want to have and as much as possible really trying to make the effort to do the things that I know are good for me but probably would avoid and make the effort to go out and walk with a friend in nature even if it's pissing down with rain you know for example take you know there's no such thing as the rock the bad bad weather only the wrong type of clothing so you know that that's a good metaphor I think for how to, yeah, how to kind of look forward to next year. So do you think there's the possibility of, of being hopeful? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I think we need that, don't we? And that's something we can cultivate. If we're naturally pessimistic, then we, we should consider alternatives. So if there is little... Um, let's say light to be gleaned from let's say the global situation let's say it's it's hard for an individual to sort of see um, hope mm-hmm. certainly in the next mm-hmm. you know year mm-hmm. how could you just to sort of close you know for somebody who's mm-hmm. you know trying to sort of get through to next year you know to to give themselves some kind of hope, what would you suggest? Obviously, you can't go into specifics, but I would I would suggest that um, I mean one thing we could all do is to to cultivate more of an attitude of gratefulness. So every day you could keep what's called a gratitude diary or gratitude log, and to really think about one's day and consider something that we might be grateful for and as much as possible try to connect to that emotion which can be difficult at times but if again if that's something we do every day and I think it's possible it doesn't take that much time that can become something that we become more aware of in daily life so by actively recording what we're grateful for each night that could be well I'm grateful for having the heating on 
And if I didn't, I would be, you know, freezing. And many people are freezing to death. And that's something that, yeah, I can be grateful for. So we take our attention away from, from what we don't yeah. have. That's right. To all, yeah. to looking at, you know, this is what I have at the moment. It may not be yeah, fantastic. It's, yeah, it's shifting attention. You know, there's a Buddhist saying, the absence of a toothache is very pleasant. Um, and there's a lot in that, I think, that, you know, when we have a toothache, the only thing we want in the world is to be rid of it. Uh, but no sooner have we been um, uh, cured of that, then we move on to something else. So we don't consider, um, we take things for granted. And that, that, that's, that, that's not bad. It's just a human. It's just in the, in the nature of being human. So, yeah, we're kind of forcing ourselves to look at things in new ways. Um, and that actually, if we're sitting here and the heating is on and there isn't any palpable emotion, that maybe we're okay. We're okay, yeah. Yes. And then even if we are experiencing pain or distress, well, you know, maybe we're okay too, that there's more right with us than wrong with us. Um, yeah. Which is, which is difficult to see sometimes if we're feeling low or anxious, but... It's something to consider as a possibility. Well, I really like your idea of the, of the gratitude diary, of, of experiencing um, or bringing that notion of gratitude to, to something very simple to, to try. And that, and that does take sure. effort. And, and I personally am extremely grateful for, for you, my friend, for giving up this, this time in the morning and to, and to share your, your wisdom and your, your experience. Um, well, with with us, and I'm I'm really grateful. Thank you. Well, my pleasure, absolute pleasure, and happy to to do this anytime. So hopefully, this can be of some use to people. I, that would be wonderful, and I'm grateful for having the opportunity to talk about about this. So thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sasha Khan as much as I enjoyed interviewing him. Please join me for my next episode of the Snow Globe Project, which is a little story that I've written, which is a mindfulness-based story set in the mountains somewhere, and it's called Mama G and the Whispering Tigers. And that'll be coming out very soon, so please stay tuned. All right, you take care. Wishing you a very safe and peaceful festive time. Keep breathing.